Amen. We give thanks to God for his endless victory through Christ, his son. I think it's, it's almost impossible for us to comprehend an endless victory, isn't it? Certainly if we're West Ham fans or some other kind of team's fans, right? Those victories are poor, uh, very poor. God's victory is endless. It lasts forever. And he brings us with him to enjoy it and to know it even now through his spirit. Uh, he can dispel and remove all doubt from us. So why don't we turn to scripture and be encouraged this morning uh, to have our doubts removed and our faith securely and squarely in Christ, the risen King. Um, on Friday, I gave a sermon asking, what is truth? Uh, that was part one, and this is part two. Uh, if you enjoy the sermon this morning and you weren't here for part one, why don't you listen uh, to part one online? Uh, as I say, on Good Friday, uh, we heard the account of the shocking and callous treatment uh, meted out to Jesus as he allowed himself to become the focus of sinful human hatred and rejection. Yet at the same time, uh, Jesus would become, according to the merciful will of God, the Passover lamb, the Passover lamb who would take away the sins of all his people as he hung on the cross. It is a stirring and deeply emotional reality to face up to the pitiless lack of compassion that we as humans are capable of when our comforts, our habits and our way of life are threatened. Yet this did not deter God. God has something far better planned for our lives than conformity to a dying and fruitless pattern offered by the world all around us. The pattern that we can hear so clearly uh, booming away in the background. We ought not be conformed to that pattern. No, we ought to choose Christ. So a challenge for us this morning is, are we choosing the pattern of the world? Are we choosing conformity to it? Are we pursuing wealth and fame and success, whatever the cost, whatever that looks like for you? The Lord our God has shown us what constitutes true glory and true success. These things are found in a life of sacrifice. These things are found down a path of giving and serving. Friends, this is where true delight and fulfilment is found. And it leads to eternal life. It leads us safely across the Jordan. Now, Pilate, the Roman governor, he was a true conformist. He was conforming to the way of Rome, to the way of the Caesars. He was taking the path of luxury and power. Surely that was the only way, wasn't it? There was no greater truth than what we made for ourselves, was there? What is truth? Pilate said. Friends, the culture all around us, the world culture, as Pastor Mike Winger calls it, that culture which is in all the social media, on all the TV and movie screens, 
in all our workplaces and schools. That culture says no. There cannot be such a thing as ultimate truth. Truth is only what you feel it to be. And so people are encouraged to be who and what they want to be. It's why we can identify as a dog or a tin of beans if we want to today. Friend, God confronts us through the pages of Scripture and in the life and testimony of Jesus Christ. He confronts us with ultimate truth. And he says who he is. He says he is that ultimate truth. I am who I am. Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14. The resurrected Jesus said, See, it is I myself. Luke's Gospel, chapter 24. The question for us is, are we willing to acknowledge the ultimate truth? That Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. Because Jesus said, didn't he, nobody comes to the Father except through me. Let's continue reading from John 20, where we left off, verse 19. I'm going to read through to the end of the chapter. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. May God bless those words to us today. Uh, now I've got three points, as I usually do in my sermons. And uh, today those points are three D's. Okay, firstly, doors. Secondly, doubts. And thirdly, deposition. 
Okay, Pastor Ben, that's another word that's going to need explanation. Doors, doubts, okay, we're okay with those two words, and deposition, all right? Now, it's a D, it fits nicely. Deposition, what is that? It means a sworn witness statement. It means uh, a testimony. It means an account, okay? That's what deposition means. It's legal terminology, and uh, it's referring to evidence and testimony. Okay, so firstly, doors. I hope you noticed there were some doors there in the text. John's Gospel account tells us that the door to the place where Jesus' disciples were staying was locked for fear of the Jews. Specifically, having witnessed firsthand through the arrest, torture and crucifixion of Jesus, just what the hate-filled Jewish authorities were capable of, it was certainly wise to be fearful. In fact, we might even ask why the disciples remained in Jerusalem. If the religious establishment could take out Jesus, then certainly they could round up his associates, the troublesome band from Galilee. But that wasn't God's plan, was it? God's plan was for his light, his message to reach the nations. And the church, the ingathering of peoples from every nation, tribe and tongue, that would be built on the testimony of these men. These apostles, whom Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 tells us all would see the risen and glorified Christ. Every one of the apostles would see Christ. Verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 15. But for now, they were cowering in fear in a discreet location. It's no surprise that Peter, in his weakness and terror, denied his master. What is perhaps more surprising is that the beloved apostle John attended the crucifixion with the women, as we heard on Friday, remember? Jesus gave his mother Mary into John's care. She even went to live with him after that. But even there, as they trembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus knew that they needed him. And so he came to them. Not even locked doors could prevent Jesus drawing near to calm their distress. This morning, dear friends, I wonder if you have been afraid. Has anything kept you subdued and fearful? Because if so, today of all days is about the banishment of fear. The greatest thing any of us could know is forgiveness through the blood of Christ. And that blood is 100% effective for all God's people. For all who would turn away from their sin and put their trust in Jesus. Oh friend, is he calling you today? As you sit there on this Easter Sunday? In John's revelation, Jesus tells us he stands at the door and knocks. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Revelation 3 verse 20. Well, in John chapter 20, we see that if Jesus wants in, 
he will come in, whether that door is bolted shut or not. If he wants you, friend, he will win your heart. He will make you like he made those first disciples, a repentant and zealous follower of his. And so have you opened your door to Jesus? Or is it bolted shut? What was it that Jesus said to them on entering their hiding place? Peace be with you. And he showed them his hands and his side. Jesus demonstrates what it is that brings us peace. His perfect sacrifice, fully accepted by the Father in payment of every sin, every sin that's carried to the cross of Christ. Whatever it is that you've done has been accepted because of Christ's sacrifice, forgiven in him. Will we put our full trust in Jesus, the risen King? My second point is doubts, just in case you're doubting. Not only was Jesus aware of the fear afflicting the disciples, and he deals with that, doesn't he? He's also aware of the doubts they harbour within. Thomas wasn't the only one who doubted. Did you notice that? He gets labelled as being doubting Thomas, but he wasn't the only doubter around. Why else did Jesus show all of the disciples his hands and side? Verse 20. It's just Thomas was not there with them when Jesus showed up. And so this is why a special point is made of his doubt, because he only had the disciples' second-hand testimony. No, Thomas was asking, if you have seen the Lord and seen his hands and side, then he can come and show me too. Right? Fair is fair. You've had the benefit of seeing him firsthand. He can come and show me. And friends, that is no problem for Jesus because just eight days later he shows up for Thomas. What a compassionate act. Not one of his sheep would be lost. Jesus comes looking for us all. And so what about you, friend? Are you harbouring any doubts today? Perhaps you're sat there thinking, it's all right for the disciples. Jesus, whom they knew personally, has showed up in his resurrected body, so they had no shadow of a doubt. But I've not seen Jesus' physical resurrection body. Many today say that they will only believe if they see a message in the sky. Or if God heals their loved one. But what about all the other messages and signs that Jesus leaves us steadily through the course of our lives? All the other truths in scripture that speak deeply to our souls and on which we can build our lives in confidence. Sure enough, I knew my limitations coming into the ministry. But right at the start, through the gift of scripture and the great haul of fish recorded in Luke 5, I knew that any fruit from my labours would only ever be the work of God. God chooses weak and incapable men and women to do his work. 
So there was no need for me to feel a burden for the results, praise God. And the same was true for his disciples. Peter realized his inability, which is why he told Jesus to go away from him. Because he was a sinful man, he knew that. And why Jesus chose such humble men who worked with their hands. Because surely it was through no charisma of their own that people were won and persuaded. What's the basis of our faith, friends? How is it that a weak man such as myself can stand here three years after losing the wife I entered ministry with, still preaching the word and pointing to God, only by the strength he saw fit to grant me? How is it that Yoko and I could come through her diagnosis of breast cancer and pursue marriage in the midst of the raging COVID crisis and restrictions? Only because it was the will of God. And so what proofs has God given you? Oh, we're so quick to forget God's unending kindnesses towards us, aren't we? We're all too easy to dismiss a clear demonstration of God's power, which at the time we acutely knew to be God's work. But we just forget with the passage of time. God is about the business of granting miracles by power. Yes, friends, miracles happen. Instead, we choose to put it down to coincidence or good luck. Good luck in a world like this, with clear evidence of intelligent design in the fabric of the universe, and in the wonders of nature all around us? After all, John tells us, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Friends, what are the signs that he has done for you that are not written in this book? Have you given him the credit and the glory? Do not disbelieve but believe, verse 27 tells us, Jesus says. Do not disbelieve, but believe. May he help us not be doubters, friends. Finally, deposition, that sworn witness statement. Friends, when Jesus breaks in to where the disciples were, he calms their fears. Surely, just his very presence alone is enough to return them to the joy that they felt with him as they travelled the land from Galilee in the north to Jerusalem in the south. Their Lord, their master and their friend was back. Hallelujah. He showed them his crucifixion wounds, demonstrating that Jesus didn't have an identical twin brother after all. as some people might claim. But his physical appearance before us, friends, Jesus' physical appearance is not required. As I've said, the signs and the proofs are all around us. Yes, in the glorious scriptures, but also, if we're looking, in the course and content 
of our lived experience. If this were not the case, Jesus would not say confidently in verse 29, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. Are you numbered among them, friend? Beloved, we can believe with as much confidence as the apostles. I'll say that again. We can believe with as much confidence as the apostles. How do I know this? Because until the apostles received the Holy Spirit of God in that upper room, many of them doubted. Jesus breathes out his spirit on the disciples in verse 22. Confirmation yet again that just as God breathed life into Adam at the dawn of humankind, so Jesus is the one who breathes life, true life, into us when we receive his spirit. Yet the reception of the spirit would follow later on, wouldn't it? On the day of Pentecost, as we see in Acts chapter 2. And until then, as we see in Matthew 28 at the Great Commission, though they worshipped him, what does it tell us? Some doubted. Even though they'd seen his resurrected body, his glorified body, come through a locked door, some of them still doubted until the Spirit came. All would change when the Spirit came. And the coming of the Spirit is the consistent testimony of God that the apostles point to. Friend, if you have true saving faith, then that is the gift of God through the Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45, Paul teaches us that the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spirit. First we're born naturally, and then we're born again, spiritually, into new life and confidence in Christ. If we have received Christ, the one who brings our spiritual body to life, then we will become imperishable. Paul goes on. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonour. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Why? Because God, who is spirit, made us. And he will accomplish all things. So by the grace of God, we understand the mystery of the resurrection. Did you know that? You might have hitherto been thinking, well, we can't understand resurrection until it happens. But there's a certain amount of truth to that, right? But by the grace of God in his word, he gives us teaching and clarity. Praise God. We can understand something of the mystery 
of the resurrection and how it is that Jesus' resurrection body had so many more capabilities than our natural bodies. Amazingly, one day we too will receive new spiritual bodies with the same capabilities as our current bodies, but then imperishable. And with so many new and wonderful abilities as well. The Holy Spirit of God is the deposit until that day. He is the one who assures us, as we've heard, haven't we, in Paul's letter to the Romans. The Holy Spirit assures us that Jesus is God, that he is Lord, and that God raised him from the dead. And if that is our testimony, if that is our deposition, our sworn statement, then to God be the glory. So let us embrace the witness statements of the apostles, our brothers, including John, because the Holy Spirit of God confirms them in our hearts. This is written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And that peace that Jesus brings, the confidence that his testimony is true, is all to equip us to pursue the life of discipleship. Because as he says in the scripture, John 20, Jesus is sending us into the world to continue witnessing to his goodness and his glory. Verse 21. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So friends, let us go to love and serve the Lord in his peace and to the glory of his name, now and always. Amen.